please stand for the reading of the word. This morning, I'll be reading from Luke chapter 10, verse 38, through chapter 11, verse 4. Please join me in reading when the words become yellow. Now as they went on their way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him. She had a sister named Mary who sat at Jesus' feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all of this work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. But few things are needed, indeed only one. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken from her. He was praying in a certain place, and after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, may your name be revered as holy. May your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive anyone indebted to us. And do not bring us to the time of trial. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Good morning, Highland. It's good to see you here today. My name is Shane Hughes. I'm one of the ministers here. And if you're joining us for the first time today, or uh, you've been here for a while, uh, if you're joining on us online, we want to know how grateful uh, you are to be here we are uh, going to finish up our series on loud today. It's a, we've been talking about prayer. How do you hear God's voice in a crowded and noisy world? And today we're going to think about borrowed prayers. You've been hearing them throughout the service, different people's prayers that they go to when times are good or times are hard. I want to share with you one of the prayers that I've been borrowing from Scripture this season. It's from Psalm 27. It said, One thing I ask of the Lord, this I seek, to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And maybe you've bought a house before. If you haven't done that yet, it's kind of a fun process to buy your first house. Because you get with your realtor and you, you get excited about what you can afford or what you might be able to afford, and then you begin looking. And you get to see all of these different kinds of houses. Some houses, they're 100 years old, and you can tell the craftsmanship that was put into that building to let it last 100 years. But it has odd things like tiny, tiny little kitchen and a giant bathroom, right? Or you can buy a more modern house that only is just like one big room. And if you cook bacon for breakfast, you get to smell it again when you're watching TV after dinner. It's awesome. An open floor plan, right? Um, you get to choose. That's the point. And let me give you this word of caution. If you've never bought a house before, you're going to have a limit of what you can afford. Just don't look at a house above that limit. Because that's the house you're going to fall in love with. And then you're just going to feel bitter. So stay within your budget as you look to buy a house. But there's going to be a house that you're going to fall in love with. It just, it feels right. The layout of the building, the, the color, the neighborhood, it just feels right. 
and you're going to put down an offer and maybe negotiate, and, uh, and then you're going to get accepted. And then, then comes this moment of the home inspection where you're just praying that there's not like 40 years of termite rot in your house, that it's not built above a nuclear waste site and you're going to be irradiated. You know, there's, there's this moment where you, you just want to be sure it's going to be okay. The psalmist says, the one thing I ask of the Lord, this I seek, to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And at first, I thought this was an ascent prayer, to see the temple. But the longer I lived in this text, I realized it's not a temple. It's God. God wants you to to dwell, to rest, to linger in him. Join me in prayer. I pray that of God's glorious riches, God might strengthen you with power through the divine spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Father, to that end, I pray that you pour through me the gift of preaching, that I might speak your love to these, your people. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, and the church says, amen. So I want to end this series by kind of focusing on the beginning. Like, how do you start? Let's imagine for a second that you've been going to church for a long time, right? You love to show up. You love to sing. You hear a good sermon. If it's Highland, it's a great sermon. I mean, you enjoy this experience. You have your small group. But you've never really began to pray, Right? Let's imagine that you just gave your life in Christ. Thank you, brother, for your commitment this morning. Welcome to your new family. This, this family is going to be beside you and behind you and before you for the rest of your life. As long as you're with us, we are with you. Imagine that you just gave your life to Christ and you come out of the water and you're like, what's next? How do I pray? Imagine that you grew up in a family where you just... There's like three prayers, and you know them all. You heard the prayer that you pray at dinner. You know the prayer that they prayed if you grew up at like the church I did at communion. You know the prayer that they prayed before the sermon. And they, they didn't have liturgy, but they, they had the same prayer. It didn't matter who was up there that Sunday. They were going to do the same prayer. We knew that God was going to guide, guard, and direct us. We knew that the preacher was going to have a ready recollection of the things he discovered. You know, like you knew that's what was going to happen. And those men could say that prayer so quickly, you could not understand anything but the syllables, but you knew those words. But you've never, you've never initiated the road to intimacy with God. How do you begin to pray? 
Well, if the, if the text that, that we read together right before the sermon sounded kind of familiar, but also kind of off, it's because we pray that prayer every Sunday. We pray the Lord's Prayer every Sunday. In fact, the longer that I've lived into that rhythm here at Highland, the more and more that I adore it. And, and I've I begun to pray that prayer, and I want to encourage you, when you pray with your kids at night, begin to say the Lord's Prayer with them, and you're going to be shocked the first time you do it. They already know that prayer. They're going to join right in. As you wake up in the morning, pray that prayer as you start your day. Begin with that moment. And today it kind of sounded familiar, but it was a little different, right? Because normally we pray the Lord's Prayer, and it comes out of the book of Matthew, but today we're reading it, and it comes from Luke, and it's, it's just a little different. You see, in Matthew, the Lord's Prayer is set in the Sermon on the Mount. And it's, it's the first of these five discourses, these five little sermonettes that, that Jesus is going to preach as he goes through the story of, of his life in the book of Matthew. And this is the Sermon on the Mount, and it should remind us of Moses back in Exodus. Moses goes up the mountain, Mount Sinai, to receive a word from God. Jesus is going up the mountain to speak the word of God. The biggest difference is that Moses listened, Jesus speaks. Jesus is God. But Luke's gospel is already saturated with prayer. There's at least nine times where Luke intentionally tells us how Jesus stops to pray. Jesus cannot stop praying in Luke. It feels as if prayer is the fuel for his ministry. And so if the context of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew is the Sermon on the Mount, what's the context for us to understand how the prayer, Lord's Prayer, functions in Luke? Well, if you want to know how something fits into the gospel, you read the stories that are around it. So if you have your Bible, open up to Luke chapter 11. That's where we're going to land. But to begin, we're going to go to Luke chapter 10. It starts with the story of the Good Samaritan. Now, you've probably heard this story before, but if you haven't heard it, it begins like this. Someone wants to justify themselves before Jesus, and so they say, hey, what's the best commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, the man had a follow-up question, and he says, well, who exactly is my neighbor? I mean, is it the person that lives next door to me? Somebody on my block? Somebody in my village? Who's my neighbor? Who do I have? Is it my kinsman, a fellow Jew? Who do I have to extend this neighborliness to? And so Jesus tells him a parable. It's a parable that has threes, and like a lot of things in the Old Testament, and, and even now, they come in threes. You kind of know how the story's going to go. You know, it's like a, you know, a priest, a rabbi, and an imam walk into a bar. There's, there's three. Jesus tells it this way. There's a man that was on the way to Jericho. He gets beaten up and left for dead, and a Levite comes along, but does not help the man. And then a priest comes along but does not help the man. Now, there may have been a good reason why the priest didn't want to help the man, because the priest was heading to the temple, perhaps, and if, if he touches a dead body, he'll become ceremonially unclean, and he has an important job to do at the temple, and so if he, if he touches this body, I'm sorry, I'd like to help, but I can't give up ministering at the temple. So you're on your own. And maybe the Levite had a good reason not to help, but Jesus' listeners, they know what's coming next. 
The priests have missed it. They're corrupted by Rome. The Levites are trying their best, but they're misguided. We know who is the faithful one. It's the Pharisee. Now, in the book of Luke, Pharisees get a terrible rap because they think they know God, but they really don't. They just know how to follow rules. But a Pharisee was actually like a really great neighbor. If you hurt your back and couldn't mow your lawn, a Pharisee would do it for you. If you had a wreck in your car and you couldn't get to work, a Pharisee might help you with your electricity bill. A Pharisee was a good neighbor, someone that was respected in the community. And so everybody knows where this story is going. It's the Pharisee that's going to show up next. But Jesus throws a curveball and says, a Samaritan is walking down the road. A Samaritan that's like half human, not really Jewish, not really a Gentile. Nobody really cares or, or despise, likes them. They're kind of despised by the community. A Samaritan is not somebody that's going to help a real Jew. But that's exactly what the Samaritan does. And so Jesus stops and asks the question at the end of the story. Who do you think was the neighbor? And the man that asked the question, he couldn't even bring himself to answer it, right? He can't say the Samaritan. He says it was the one who had mercy. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. The neighbor is the one that's doing the work. And then the next story that follows is the story about Mary and Martha, which we just heard. Jesus is coming and he's teaching in, in a house and Martha is getting the potluck ready. Everybody's excited for what's to come. Mary, her sister, is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now, sitting at the feet of a Jesus is the, is the posture of a disciple. And we should pause just here for a second because what is happening is revolutionary in the first century. The fact that a woman is allowed to sit in the posture of a disciple would be unheard of. It'd be extraordinary because that's a place reserved for men. In fact, probably in the first century, that whole front room should have only been men and the women would have been in the back. And maybe Martha just needs a little help. Maybe Martha needs to pull Mary back into her place and says, Jesus, get, your, get my sister out of this room. Get her back doing what she's supposed to do. And Jesus says, no. Mary's chosen something that's better. And I'm not going to take it from her. And so look at the juxtaposition of these two stories when we put them side by side. At the end of the Good Samaritan, what you hear is, go and do likewise. Your neighbor is the person that helps. The neighbor is the person that serves. It's not based on ethnicity or location. It's the one that's willing to do the work of God. And then promptly, Luke tells us the story of Mary and Martha, which isn't the one that's working. It's not the one that's serving. It's one that's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And so how do we balance these two stories? How do we know when it's time to go and do likewise and when it's time to sit and, and reflect? How are you supposed to know what's right to do in that moment? Well, Luke chapter 12, Jesus says, teaches the disciples the Lord's prayer. The way that you discern what God is calling you to do is to learn to listen to the voice of God. This is the only time that Jesus' disciples ask for training in the book of Luke. I, I think that's very fascinating. They don't ask for training about how to do evangelism. They don't ask for training on how to do exorcism. They don't ask for training on how to do effective small group ministry. They only ask for effective training about prayer. 
And where we've been this, this series is that prayer doesn't depend on our character, but on the character of God. It doesn't matter how good you are or how holy your life is. Prayer isn't up to you. It's up to God's character, which is good news for all of us. Prayer is the beginning of the voyage with God. And when you are in the deep waters, when you travel out beyond the shore and you don't know where to go, you slow down. And you learn to linger in that uncomfortable space, the silence, and discover who God is. The goal of prayer isn't to get more from God, but more of God. And so today we wanted to think about borrowed prayers. When you're beginning that journey of prayer, it's okay if you don't have the words. It's okay if you're in the middle of your journey with God's prayer and the things that you say feel to you to be vapid or insincere. It's okay if you found yourself there. It's okay that as you're wrestling with the God, the creator of language, and you can't find the words that express your heart. It's okay that if what you pray for seems to you to be based on your own unreliable spirit instead of God's holiness. Those things are all okay. It's okay to live there. But borrowing the words of others, the words of Scripture, the words of the saints throughout time, allow us to, to move past those feelings. So what do you pray for? I want to put a little plug in right now for our, the Highland Podcast. You can find it on our website. They've been talking about deconstruction in that podcast. It's been a really excellent conversation for the last um, month or so. They're, they're shifting now to begin to talk about prayer. And Randy Harris was on the podcast this past week. I really want to encourage you to listen to it. But he posed a question that really began to kind of leave a, a splinter in my brain. I've been thinking about it over and over. He, he said, if a, if a Martian sociologist were to listen to our prayers... What would they think the most important thing to God is? He would say it's, it's our health. Because that's the thing we tend to pray about the most. And, and no doubt, it is important, especially when things go awry. But is it the most important? Because there is so much more. And praying the prayers of others, listening to saints that have gone before us, that have shaped their lives deeply by the power of the Spirit and the work of Scripture, teaches us what to, how to understand our approach to God. That there's more than just our needs and our wants. Borrowed prayers give us words when we don't have them. And they balance our time. Mary Carr, who's a, a brilliant author, she wrote this fascinating line about prayer. If it's authentic, there is no bad prayer. There's no wrong prayer. It might be self-serving or it might be misguided. It might be irreverent. But God is there to take whatever you offer. God is willing to accept it. And whatever it is, just begin. Just start. Yield up to what scares you. Yield up to what makes you scream and cry and enter into that quiet, it's a cathedral. But her friend says, how does getting on your knees do anything for you? And her friend replied, 
getting on your knees makes you the right size. Now, if you know the story of Mary, you know that she struggled with sobriety and some of her mental health. And she finally uh, takes up the suggestion to pray after she's checked herself into a, a mental hospital. And, and, and in the hospital, she writes, I have the urge to kneel. I tiptoe to the bathroom. I bend onto the cold tiles. Thanks, she says, whoever you are, for keeping me sober. So let's think about this prayer that Jesus has offered us to form us into the image of, 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 of a disciple, to put us in the posture where we can be shaped by, by, by the Spirit. What does it mean to pray for kingdom come? What does it mean to ask for daily bread? What does it mean for forget, to offer forgiveness and offer the same? What does it mean for, to ask for deliverance from temptation? Now, I might be wrong about this. I, I, it's very possible that I am. I used to think that these were four things. But now I think it's just one thing. Sometimes in Scripture, it's the line that you skip, that you just blow by, that becomes the most critical. And I think that's what's happening to me this week. I might be wrong. You just think about it yourself. You come back and tell me if you have a better idea. Jesus invites his disciples to pray that God's name be hallowed or, or kept holy. And it's written in the passive voice that indicates that when we ask God to hollow, we can't do it. Only God can hollow God's name. To act in such a way that God's name is held in honor. And we know that what holiness is. God's holiness is the struggle of life against death. And God is always for life. God is always for human flourishing. And in Luke, God finds solidarity through Jesus Christ with the downcast and the grief-stricken and the hurt and the poor and the lonely. Jesus announces his work to set the prisoner free and heal the sick and proclaim the joy of God's favor. And so the petitions that follow flesh out what this holiness means. When God's name is hallowed, God's kingdom comes, and there is daily bread for all. Forgiveness is practiced, and God delivers the faithful from the time of trial. But I want us to move to the deeper aspect of prayer. It's okay if you've never prayed before in your life, even if you've been here for 15 years and you've never uttered a sincere word to God before. It's fine if that's where you are, but you can't, you can't stay there. Borrowed prayers move us from teaching how to pray to teaching us to long. Longing that finds itself in the deepest part of our body. To borrow from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the Lord's Prayer is our yes to God's earth. The image of we imagine when God's holiness reigns, when God's whole name is held in honor, that it changes communities and changes the world. The Lord's Prayer is incar incarnational the same way that Jesus is incarnational. It teaches us what it means to be fully human and pictures for us the good life. And so to pray it again and again. Pray it every day. Pray it with your kids at night. 
Pray it when you wake up in the morning. Pray it when you're bored. Pray it again and again is to imbibe the holy telos, the end of God, the purpose of the end. But that plunge into holy desire doesn't remove us from earthly life. It implicates us, and it gets us busy in the business of loving and worshiping God in our neighborhoods and churches and cities. Where should you begin? Just start praying. I want to say your prayer life should be invading your daily life. But that's really a bad phrase. It's, it's a nice turn, but it's a really bad phrase. because it, it implies in some ways that your prayer life and your daily life are two different things. Rather, let your life and spirit incarnate like Jesus. So it's just one thing. And find yourself as fall is coming and the crunchiness of the earth and the crisp air in the morning, the way it fills your mouth with coldness when you inhale for the first time as you step outside in the cold. And speak the words of God to God. Let it change you. Let it change us as we work to restore the restoration of all things. Would you please stand? In just a minute, uh, I'm gonna invite our prayer team forward. In just a minute, they're gonna be here available for you. If, you. if you have need of prayer, if there's a concern on your heart, if you need someone to talk to, they're gonna be available for you. Uh, at the front of the auditorium. Uh, it could be a conversation that you want to have after the benediction. It could be a cup of coffee uh, that you want to have later this week. Whatever it is, our elders, our prayer team is available for you. Please go with this blessing. The God of heaven and earth that created language, that gave you a voice to speak back to God, invites you to tell God the truth. May you be shaped and formed by the words of Jesus. May you be transformed by the power of the Spirit. May we have the courage to join God in God's kingdom wherever we find it. Go in peace.